Hey now, say now, you're tuned in to the Wake Up and Win podcast, and I am your host, Devon Pouncey. I am here in the city of Portland, Oregon, at the Momentum Studios. No real announcements this weekend. Usually I'm broadcasting four or five games a week. Uh, obviously, the college hoop season is in full motion. Um, everybody's on the road this weekend. Pacific's on the road this weekend. Portland State is on the road this weekend as well. Got to give Portland State their props currently on a four-game win streak. Got to go face the Montanas, though, out there. So definitely uh, going to be a competitive weekend, if nothing else. Uh, the Portland State women still in the thick of things. And what I'm most proud of as a Pacific Boxer alum myself is that the boxers swept Linfield a couple of days ago. Uh, the women obviously did their thing. They're doing really well. The boxer men were able to win on a game-winning three-pointer with 1.9 seconds left. So this boxer is pretty happy this week. But another reason I'm happy is because, uh, you know, doing this podcast thing once a week, hardly ever are you able to kind of have a big day on the podcast because you're recapping news that may be like six days old. Today, I have the fortune to be able to record this podcast, as we record every Thursday, on what was NBA trade deadline day. So I don't feel too dated on my current events here, being able to talk all things NBA trade deadline. And who better to bring on as a special guest for today's episode than my guy, Danny Morang, co-host of the Jacked Ramsey's podcast, Man, I know it's been a busy one for you, brother. <laughs> Listen, man, I know of a, a lot of other people you can bring on that are better than me, but I appreciate it. Nah, man, you put in work, man. I've been seeing you put in work, obviously, since your days with, with NBC Sports Northwest doing the Blazers Outsider Show. But honestly, even more so than that, I'm, I'm impressed at the transition you've been able to make with the Jack Ramsey's podcast. I, I know sometimes things can be tricky when you're – kind of switching to more of an independent model coming from a corporatized place like NBC Sports Northwest was, but you're, you were able to like successfully transition your Blazers Outsiders Army to come tap in with the Jack Ramsey's podcast. And to me, that's impressive, man. So I want to know a little bit about the podcast in particular and how this independent model has been going for you first before we talk about this splash of the day in the NBA. Um, honestly, it was really, it was pretty surprising and humbling that it, that it worked and it has worked as well as it has. Um, you never really know, you get ratings and stuff and you, you can sometimes get access to that kind of thing and kind of know how many people are really engaged, but Twitter, Instagram, wherever the forum boards, all those kind of things, they, they can, they can make you think otherwise. And then it was kind of funny after the last show, uh, Joe and I, we were out and around and people everywhere we were during the summer. Hey, man, you know, what's going on with the show? We don't know what's on with this. Just want to tell you, you know, we really loved it. And I was like, that's kind of weird. But over the years, uh, Kevin Jones, who's the CEO of Blue Wire, he had tried to recruit me to come do a podcast for them. But contractually, things never lined up. Right. Like whether it was NBC, whether it was SB Nation at Blazers Edge. I was always under contract and or multiple contracts where I just couldn't like unwind one and get into another. The cool thing about leaving NBC or NBC shuttering the doors, all of my contracts terminated June 1st. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, I got to be like a free agent. Right. And so, uh, blue wire came calling again. Like, Hey man, you know, we're really expanding. We'd love to have you on. Like, screw it. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. Like I, I, I like what they were doing. Um, 
my buddy Justin Rowan, he had a podcast covering the, the Cleveland Cavaliers. He was with Blue Wire at the time. Uh, the guys in the Bay, Sam Sfendiari and Andy Liu, the Light Years podcast, they're with Blue Wire. Yeah. I reached out to those guys like, hey, you know, give me the lowdown of how, you know, you kind of like things. And there's nothing but glowing feedback. I'm like, all right, cool. Justin got picked up. He's the official podcast of the Cleveland Cavaliers now. Right. I kind of merged that way back to the corporate side of things. And so, and, and he told me, like, listen, man, Blue Wire's been great. They didn't hold me back. They let me do whatever I wanted. They really encouraged us, even when we got back with the Cavs. So it's like one of those things where I was like, okay, let's do this. And I looked at it, and I kind of knew what Roots programming was going to look like, the Blazers program was going to look like, that there wasn't going to be a ton of coverage. And I was like, well, instead of just doing a podcast, what if I do a pre and a post? Yeah. Yeah. I've been doing for five years. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I was like, ah, I'm like, this is going to be a lot of work doing myself, but you know, I got a couple months to kind of spin this up and see where it goes. And then I hit up uh, Brandon Sprague for a podcast and I've known Sprague for years. And then after the show, I was like, this is going to seem like it's crazy, man. Do you want to do this with me? Like, it wasn't like a long, like drawn out, like, well, what about this? What about this? It was literally, I was like, you want to do this? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Let me think about it, man. And he came back to me the next day. He's like, yeah. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. And then we have just been running on fumes since we launched on August 1st. And we're just short of 3,000 subscribers now. We've got open memberships now. We've got live watch parties where we're, we're, we're integrating a, a new app that we have uh, called Playback where everybody can watch a game at the same time at a giant watch party. Yeah. We can kind of talk over the top. It's, it's crazy. And so we have all these different things going. And every time I add something new – you know, whether it's a Discord server or a giveaway or a watch party, whatever, like it just keeps working. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, this is supposed to fail some point. Right. Just, like, I need, like, and it, I'm waiting for that. And I'm just going, like, oh. but so far it's been unreal. The support has been crazy. The growth has been crazy. And, uh, it's, it's been really testing in a Blazer season that has just been so sideways and just, unpredictable that the growth has still kind of been there. Yeah. Transition like was allowed to happen. So that's a long drawn out way, but like, I, I love to hear it. I, I wish I had like a better, like, Oh yeah, no, it just came together. <laughs> I stepped in it like a thousand times along the way. Like, what about this? What do I try this? How do I do this? How many technical issues? Like, because everything I'm doing, I'm doing by myself. Right. The independent part of it is awesome, but I'm producing the show. I'm editing the show. I'm recording the show. I'm booking player interviews. Um, I'm, you know, engaging in, in, you know, live chats with, you know, we, we did the, uh, the, the post trade analysis during CJ and we had a thousand people. Yeah. I tuned in. I, I was, I was one of those thousand. It was great. The, the trailblazers just had 580 people. Yeah. Mayors. Yeah. The organization with millions of followers. And I was like, this is kind of nuts, man. You're cooking with hot grease, man. You're cooking with hot grease. I, I'm just the the one thing that I've always said that I won't, I'm always going to do, no matter what. Did it on NBC. I'm doing it now. I'm always going to stay true to me. I'm always going to say what I think I, I, that I believe in, and I'm not going to change those beliefs unless something comes along to justify it. And that's it's been successful for me. Absolutely, man. Like I said, I was one of those folks that tuned in. Um, once the CJ trade announcement was made. But again, like, I just love, for one, I'm a fan of the sport of podcasting. I just am. So, um, you know, the fact that you're able to have the success that you're having with this podcast, being able to get the engagement that you're getting, again, to me personally, that's more impressive than 
you know, maybe a Blazers outsider show because I know, you know, some of the disadvantages that you're at as a podcaster. But what also is a testament to what you were able to do with the Blazers outsider show, it shows that that pre and post game model worked there. And now to be able to see it work in podcast form, it is super dope. Um, it's honorable, man. And I commend you. Um, for what you've been able to do and again being able to transition that army I mean I've been there before working in radio where I got x amount of listeners you know per week and obviously not having that platform anymore and having to transition to just podcasting for a while before obviously I start getting into other gigs it was a hard transition man so I commend you for being able to make that transition the way you did it's tough man it's tough to go like it sounds stupid. It sounds corny. Like to go from like doing TV. TV is fun. Yeah. Also really taxing. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, no, it's not. It is not easy to do, especially when we're doing pre and post. It is not easy to do 164 episodes of television a year without the playoffs. That is a lot of TV. And I, I, I look back when it was all said and done. I'm like, I did almost 600 episodes of TV. That's a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot. <laughs> Went in with zero experience. I, I've watched some of the first couple episodes, first like six months, and I was like, mm, oh, no, baby. What was it? <laughs> and it was so bad, but you know, you learn, you grow, and to be able to transition all that, it's been really cool. I, I'm curious to know, like, what was your come-to-Jesus moment, per se, with the Trailblazers? Like, Obviously, you know, you said you had no experience prior to doing the Blazers Outsider Show. And again, we'll talk about all the splashy NBA things that happened today shortly. But I want to, you know, obviously talk about you for a little bit in this regard. But what's your Blazer connection? What was it that, you know, obviously led to you hosting the Blazers Outsider? And now here you are with the Jacked Ramsey's podcast, which is an incredible podcast name, by the way. Well, thank you. Hey, listen, I can't take any credit for the name. That's Ian Carmel, man. Ian Carmel, yeah, that's a good way to go. <laughs> and you, I, I crowdsourced it back in like June, and Ian was like, "What about this? What about this? What about this? What about this?" And I, I, I just grabbed them all and threw them in a poll, and everybody loved Jack Ramsey. So I was like, "Cool, it's fire." This stuff, I'll, I'll, I'll use this. Perfect. Um, but it's, it's a long, drawn out, stupid road, man. I, came, I grew up a, a Blazers. I became a Blazers fan in LA, in LA, growing up in LA. The first basketball game I ever went to was a Blazers Lakers game. Okay. It was, I'm, I'm, I'm dating myself a little bit here. Um, but, yeah, so I, I just happened to move up to Portland with my family as a kid in 91, and um, that was kind of where it went. I went to Beardton High School, you know, became a, you know, I was a diehard Blazers fan. Um, I went to high school at Ben Golliver. So I've, I've known BG for 25 years. Right. And um, Blazers Edge had an opening. This is in like 2010. This is right when I got home from the Air Force, or two years after I got home from the Air Force. And uh, he's like, "Hey, you know, they could." He, he was still there at the time, and he was like, "Hey, that you know, I think it's be a good place for you. you. You're doing some analytic stuff. I was doing like early analytic stuff in the NBA, and uh, I, I, I wanted to work in the NBA. Is what I wanted. To do. Right, right. And uh, I was doing a little bit on Twitter here or there, but mostly just little things that you know, I anecdotally, you know, blogging all those kind of things and. Uh, they brought me in there and, and to what, 2012. And, uh, and then I got a shot in radio, uh, bunker and Danforth saw me tweeting one morning in like 2013, Andy reached out to me. and was like, do you want to come on and talk about this stuff? <laughs> Talking about it. I was like, okay. Right. Um, that transitioned into doing a podcast with those guys. 
And then there were some transitions at that radio station. Dan Sheldon came in. Uh, they made some more transitions after that. And I was down in Summer League in 2014, and they made a call, and they're like, hey, uh, we're making some transitions here, and they said they want to give you a tryout. And I was like, word? Yeah. Okay. Like, And I the only radio time I had ever had was hopping on doing podcasts in like five, ten-minute hits, like right. full segments, just boom, boom, boom. I was terrified. <laughs> full week in the chair. Oh, wow. Yeah. Full week in the chair. Yeah. I mean, they got me for free, so, I mean, that, that filled some time for them, made it a little bit easier. Like, I look back on it now, I was like, yeah, they used me a little bit. Yeah, yeah. That's what they do. That's what they do when they feel like it. <laughs> but, like, I learned so much in that week. Like, being in that chair, just, like, how to get through conversations, how to lean into things, how to bring emotions. Like, because I can sit here and talk numbers all day. Yeah. But nobody wants to hear that. How can I contextualize those numbers and make them valuable? How can I make you care about them, either positively or negatively? And then, and it's never, for me, I know everyone wants to say, you always, have, you always have to have a take. I don't always have a take. I just always have a position. And I think there's, there's sometimes where, like, my position is, I'm not sure. And some people are like, well, what do you mean? You have to kind of, and I think that's kind of led to me being successful in the sense of, when I say I'm not sure, I dive into something more. I research it more. I understand it more. I make phone calls. I, I get, I, no, I get relationships. Yeah, you don't stop there. You don't stop at not being sure. You go figure it out. Exactly. And that's, that's what's kind of led to the growth is that every time I run into something, like take the technical side of like producing a show live on, on YouTube, like all of the, the overlays and, and transitions and music, like, okay, I got to make sure I get, you know, music that I can play on YouTube so I don't get hit with a DMCA claim. And how do I go about buying rights and getting that stuff okayed? And how do I make lower thirds? And how do I make, like, how do I frame something properly? How do I work a sound? Like, those are all the things that I keep doing on the other side of things outside of basketball. And it just kind of grew and it grew and it grew. Uh, like, I just kind of put this talent set together of, like, I could do all of these things okay. Yeah. BC calls one day and says, hey, uh, you want to come in for a tryout? They brought in like 20 of us. And uh, I knew my my podcast co-host, Tara Bone Biggs, she was there. Shout out to Tara. Yeah, she'll definitely be tuned in to this episode. She She's a huge supporter of this podcast. Shout out, Tara. Phenomenal. She was with us. Um, There's a couple of, like, it's been so long, I don't remember who was there. It's all kind of a blur, but like Joe, Shane, and I, we didn't know each other. We didn't know each other at all. It was the first time we ever got in a room. I, Shane, I knew, like, I, we were talking back and forth, just, you know, shooting it. And he was like, you know, I'm a stand-up comedian. And I'm like, I went way outside my wheelhouse. I go, because these, these are all just test pilots, right? And I go, I have a really dumb idea. And he's like, give it to me. I'm like, what if we just made, like, compare which Trailblazers character is a Lord of the Rings character? <laughs> Play to him. Yeah. Bombed. It bombed. <laughs> So we're just laughing and laughing and laughing. And he like, it just got dumber and dumber and dumber and everybody loved it. And then Joe, he was the best host in the room. I mean, Joe's one of the best hosts in Portland, hands down. And it's just, he got in there and basically he had to wrangle in Tweedledee and Tweedledum. Right. And it worked. And it, it was, it was a blast. Those, those two guys are two of my best friends in life because of that. And like it, we, we got to do so many cool things together, but through all those episodes and all the games and all the stupid things that we did, you just learn more and more. You get more relationships. You understand things better. You understand how the league works better. You understand how 
the broadcast side of things and the politics of things and how things all kind of come together. And now I've been doing this for 10 years and it's like, it starts to make a bit more sense. If I had tried to do what I am doing now without all of that experience, it would have bombed. Absolutely. Absolutely. Got to play the long game, man. Got to play the long game. Well, let's talk Blazers a little bit. Um, starting with C.J. McCollum and the C.J. McCollum trade, of course. And before I have you uh, geek out about numbers and finances and all the things that that come with this trade of C.J. McCollum leaving Portland, all the years you've covered the Blazers, all the years you've been a fan of the Blazers, C.J., to me, from my time spent here in Portland, seems like he's been a pretty unique character in a good way, of course, um, with the time that he spent as a Portland Trailblazer, obviously as a player, but also in the way that he engaged with the community, sort of the cultural footprint that he not only had within this community here, but even like as we've been talking about podcasting, being one of the first players I know to start a podcast while actively playing in the league, just speak a little bit to what CJ McCollum has meant to the Blazers. And let's just show him a little love a little bit because he meant a lot. Yeah. And listen, I know a lot of people think I think negatively of CJ McCollum because I never, never liked the, the fitting on the basketball court. But CJ McCollum was number one, a good player, but he was a good ambassador for this team, for this franchise. He helped set the culture. Uh, I know it sounds so anecdotal and so cliche, but you know what we never heard? In, like nothing ever went public or anything like rose above the grain was negative stuff going on around the team. Yeah. You didn't hear no, – no, nobody's throwing bowls of soup. You know, nobody's getting arrested. Nobody's – like it's been clean the entire time. And Damon and CJ were the backbone of that foundation. And that's like, – even the guys that they brought in where you're like, oh, I don't know if they're going to be able to handle that. Yeah, he handled it. Yeah, it was a CJ was a big part of that because he's a pros pro. Look at him now; he is the president of the players' union. You were not in that position without being a pros pro. He is taking over for Chris Paul, the 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 proest of pros. Yeah, floor. absolutely. Like, so that's he's a he's you know go full Jay Z. You know, I'm not a businessman. I'm a businessman. Hello, that's 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 CJ McCollum in a nutshell on the NBA side. Like it's. And I think that was a good thing for the Blazers, giving them that solid foundation, giving them that footing to build off of after so much instability, whether you want to talk about the jail Blazers or we're going to talk about Grandin. Uh, I, called, I said Grandin. <laughs> Brandon and Greg Oden. <laughs> Put together, smushed together, you get Grandin. <laughs> together, you might get one good knee out of them. Yeah, <laughs> true that, true that. Poor guys, man. I just feel so bad for them. Yeah. But – it's um, CJ did contribute to that, and that's that mattered, and that's that put the that put the organization in a good place. The problem was the guy overseeing it all saw him as his golden child and wasn't willing to deal him away to make basketball decisions and things around that. But it's somebody asked me the other day, like, do you think CJ McCollum's number is going to be retired? And I was like, have you looked at the jerseys and the rafters? Like, yeah, yeah, absolutely going to retire his number. There's, 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 when he's when he's all said and done, he's getting his number retired. If if not, they got to go up there and tear down all. <laughs> there who do not have who should not have their jerseys retired over him. What what does this trade mean for the Blazers though? Because obviously Blazer Twitter erupted um, after well, it was a big deal. Obviously we we spoke to the reasons that CJ McCollum is CJ McCollum, but in that regard, like. 
him being dealt away. Some people feel like it was a little too late. I think you obviously lean in that way as well. Um, but it happened, and now that it's happened, you didn't get a player as good as C.J. McCollum, in my opinion, in return for the Blazers. So right away from the eye test, that can look like a bad deal on the Blazers' end because you didn't receive anybody that holds the value that C.J. McCollum holds. But there's obviously a lot more ends of the business than just being able to trade player for player based on what their particular value is. Can you speak to what you think this trade means for the Blazers and why it may or may not be significant in regards to the Blazers' future. So the idea of – can I take the 30,000-foot approach with where the Blazers are at right now? Joe Cronin, Dwayne Hankins, and Chauncey Belts just wrapped a press conference up right before we were, we were recording here. And basically the framework they have laid out was this team, meaning the Damon C.J. backcourt team that was built upon for eight years – had run its course, and they had used up every asset. They were going to be capped out. They were up against it. The only thing they could do is rearrange deck chair on the Titanic. They, they couldn't figure anything else out beyond that. Right. So what they had to do was bite the bullet, and if they were going to do it, they were going to do it all in. And, and from what I had heard coming into really about a month ago was that they were hopeful that they could move on from Norman Powell and Robert Covington and that C.J. McCollum might have to wait until the summer. Well, they, they worked with CJ and his agent, and they worked with other teams, and they found a situation that was amicable for both sides that said, hey, this makes sense for you on the basketball side. This makes sense for us on the business side. Basically, we can get your contract off the books, not take back a ton of money. We can get back the assets we need to kind of kickstart where we want to be. You're going to go enjoy some beignets. Like, that's yeah. how this is going to go. Right. And so the the player-for-player player return is not equal. It's not the same. T.J. McCollum is a better player than Josh Hart. Josh Hart's a, a fine, capable player, and I think he's going to factor in for the Blazers going forward. But they got a first-round pick that likely is going to be a lottery pick. And that's, again, the last time the Blazers had a lottery pick was Zach Collins. And that's only because they moved up to go get it. And before that, it was Myers Leonard, or should be C.J. McCollum, and before that, uh, Myers Leonard and Damian Lillard. Yeah. So it hasn't happened all that often recently because the team has been good. So this allows them a chance to reset and go uh, potential ways because this is the first time really since 2006 that they're going to have both cap space and draft assets. They, they haven't had both of them at the same time in a very long time. So remember the, the 2016 season? We all remember that when Neil O'Shea handed out just money to everybody. You get money, you get money, you get money. But they didn't have other assets. They didn't have other capital. And then they finally did have capital the next year in 2017, and they – well, I don't want to say they wasted it, but they blew it. Right. They blew it up when Zach Collins' injuries kind of went sideways, and then he left the franchise for nothing. So all these years, from basically since 2016, the Blazers have lost assets over and over and over again. This was a, a step forward into clearing the books and gaining assets back, and that's what they're going to – this is the test, obviously, is getting into the summer and getting a player that makes sense for them kind of going forward. Uh, the, right now, the grade on them is incomplete. But uh, this is the biggest transactional trade that the Blazers have made in over a decade. Yeah, and, and I want you to speak a little bit more to that because, you know, to, to my understanding and many others, the Blazers have been essentially financially handicapped for quite some time. And now this trade, obviously, you, you spoke to uh, the trades of Norman Powell and Robert Covington. Those trades seem like they finally gave the Blazers something it hasn't had and probably 
a decade or so, close to it, which is financial flexibility. Why does that matter so much for the Blazers in particular going forward? Do you expect this to be more of a, a, a thing to do for, obviously, you speak to the draft, but free agency as well? Do Are they banking on being able to bring some big-time players over here to Portland this summer when free agency starts, which has obviously been a question mark of the Blazers organization for quite some time, is being able to attract guys to come play here in Portland. So one of the questions I believe was Jason Quick asked during the press conference was basically, do you have intel on the fact that you will be able to use the tools that you have? And Joe Cronin effectively gave a, yeah, yeah, we, we, we think we're in a good spot. <laughs> he mentioned a line of, uh, you know, we, we're, we are comfortable and we are confident with myself, with Chauncey Bellis, with Damian Lillard, that we can go out and we can go land guys. And he said free agents, and then he said, and guys. Yeah. And I think Portland is not a free agent destination. It will never be a free agent destination unless that, that fault line breaks and all of a sudden we got beachfront property. Hello. It ain't going to be a, a free agent destination. Right. Taxes are high, the weather sucks, and you're all the way out here away from everything else. <laughs> Portland's a bad place. It just means in the NBA, it's down the pecking order. It's fine. Right. So... There are a ton of other options outside of big name free agents in that they could theoretically clear about $38 million worth of cap space, which means they could take an unbalanced trade and they could facilitate, say if James Harden didn't leave Brooklyn in the trade deadline and he became a free agent and the Philadelphia 76ers said, we're going to sign James Harden, but we need to create space. Well, Portland would have a probable New Orleans Pelicans lottery pick, perhaps Josh Hart send them out to Philadelphia and you could take back Ben Simmons because you would have all the space in the world. And it would just that, that simple. Right. And for, for everybody wonder why would they have done that? Well, in this scenario, the Sixers don't give up Seth Curry. They don't give up two first round. Picks. Yeah. Andre all they do is send Ben Simmons out, get James Harden and more assets. They keep Matisse. They keep Seth. They keep Maxi. They keep everything. They keep their picks. Why wouldn't Philadelphia want to do that? Which, again, is why you saw that deal go down, because the Nets and the 76ers are basically playing chicken, and Joe Sy and Sean Barks went, we're going to lose. We better do something now. And yeah. that was what I thought was an incredible deal. But it's the same kind of situation. So does Jalen Brown force his way out of Boston? Does a star somewhere else, or does another deal need to be facilitated because somebody else's books are bad that Portland go, Hey, you know, we can help you out with that. Yeah. And then you have the likes of like a Jeremy Grant where they do have other capital. And again, you can talk about all of the relationships again in the NBA. Dame and Jeremy Grant are very close. I would not be surprised if this summer talks are revisited. Things look a little bit differently. And Jeremy Grant somehow, some way ends up a Portland trailblazer. And that's the steps that the organization can go through to say, in the past, we would have had to give up probably C.J. McCollum to get Jeremy Grant. So in a roundabout way, it's going to be that. And that was always Neil Olshay's thing. He tried to, well, I want to keep Damon C.J. and add Paul George. I want to keep Damon C.J. and add this and add this. It was always, he was never willing to give up C.J. McCollum when in reality, he had to then to get back value. And then they kind of got past the value point and now we are where we are. And they had to say, CJ McCullough makes too much money for the production and the fit for what we want to do. We are going to get away from that. Robert Covington doesn't fit what we want to do. Norman Powell does not fit what we want to do. Anthony Simons looks like that dude. Looks like that dude. So how do we, how do we do this? 
instead of rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic, you throw the deck chairs off the Titanic. Yeah. And you get it on another boat. That's how you do it. And that's what I, that, that's right now. I am sitting back with my fingers, you know, clasped in my, in my lap going, okay, I'm waiting till August. I'm giving you a chance. Neil Olshay had nine and a half years to screw this up. I'm going to give you more than nine days to unscrew it up. Absolutely. Absolutely. Speak to Anthony Simons a little bit more because I mean, obviously you, you have high expectations for him uh, coming into the league, first round draft picks on and so forth, but it's finally looking like it's starting to pay off. For some people, it, it may seem a little bit too late, especially when you consider how close the Blazers were. I mean, they still made it to a Western Conference Finals. They went to the playoffs, what is it, eight straight years that they that they made it into the postseason. So you still feel close enough when you're able to accomplish those things, which aren't easy things to accomplish. I think Anthony Simons, uh, Simons excuse me, is right on time. <laughs> As regards to his development, he's a young dude, never played college ball, but he is his coming out party is now, man. Speak a little bit more to that. Listen, I've, I've always been an ant guy. I'm kind of known as the ant guy. Um, yeah. Drafted him. I, I, I saw, you know, his tape. I, I did a, a lot of draft scouting. It was one of the first, like, non-game day shows we did for Outsiders. We had Ant come in the studio, talk to him, know him when he was real young. And the thing that I always said is like, listen, this kid is talented. If he ever gets it right upstairs, like he gets the mentality, he gets what it takes to be a pro. He gets what it takes to work at a really like an, an elite level. This kid could be something. And he surpassed those expectations. He's he is not just something like my expectations for him was like, I thought he could be a really good player. Like he could be a starter in the NBA who gets a 10 year career. Right. For those that are like that, 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 that think that's not that much. That is the. 2% of the NBA. Like once you get to that level, you are better than just about everybody. The only guys who are above you were stars and superstars. That is most guys don't get to that level. Most guys don't reach beyond that because there's only 450 guys in the league and every single year somebody is hunting for your job. Absolutely. Absolutely. So with Ant, it was like, okay, let's see it kind of come together. And I thought that over the last year and a half he had impediments in his way. It was Carmelo Anthony at one point in time. Uh, basically, he was being forced. He was being forced to force feed Carmelo Anthony shot opportunities, and that kind of cut into some of his, his opportunities to get out there. And then he had Norman Powell in front of him, and he had Gary Trent Jr. in front of him. He just couldn't get on the floor. The second they cleared the slate for him after Damian Lillard's surgery and, and CJ gets banged up, uh, Ant goes out there and has one of the best months in Trailblazer history. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he got off three and six. 23 and six and joined a list of trailblazers that only had two other guys on it to average 23 and six in a given month. Damian Lillard and Clyde Drexler. That's it. And he did it shooting better than both of them. That's the crazy thing. He was nearly 50, 40, 90 on the month. Yeah. The month that he just had was unreal. And again, he's 22 years old. And I don't expect him to be, you know, 27 and eight kind of a deal. Just what he was just doing in the first three weeks of that month. Right. A couple sideways games. But do I expect him to to flirt with the star status? Yeah, yeah. I, do. I I genuinely like where CJ was a near star. I think Anthony Simons has the tools and the ability to be an actual star. Now I don't know about superstar. That's another. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But an all star. Do but an all star. CJ has never been an all star. It's not crazy to look at Anthony Simons and his 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 work and his skill set and go, I could see him making an all star game, which. 
that's a massive leap for a player. And so the Blazers, I think they've, they've, they're cooking with a little bit of gas here. Absolutely. What do you think about this big trade that happened today, man? I want you to talk a bit more about it. Who wins? Does Nets win? <laughs> Does the 76ers win? I mean, a lot of people seem to got what they have gotten what they wanted to get, i.e. James Harden, i.e. Ben Simmons, um, who are, are the people that probably matter most in this transaction. But who wins the trade? I think that's the most basic yet simple yet popular question going around the sports media world right now in regards to what was a huge blockbuster trade just not even two hours, you know, prior to the deadline. Uh, huge shout out to, to, to my guy, Mike Richmond, because I'm going to quote him here. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's a stellar day for, a, for stubborn adults. <laughs> and, and, uh, Ben Simmons, uh, obviously Ben Simmons was significantly more stubborn, but James Harden is, is known, uh, around the league and league circles as a guy who's non-combative and is just going to be like, all right, fine, screw it. I'm out. Yeah. And he's just not, he's not, he, he's going to ghost you. Remember the, the whole thing with the Houston Rockets? He was at the strip club eating wings. He did not care. That man did, didn't, and it wasn't like, I'm going to show you. He was just divorcing himself in the situation and living his life. He's right, like, right. I don't think you understand. I don't care. When you get this done, you let me know, I will go care again. Well, he got to Brooklyn, put up with Kyrie's nonsense and said, I don't care again. <laughs> I'm, I'm out. I'm done. I don't want to deal with this. Because part of the reason he, he chose the path that he did was he wants to cement his legacy because he's had failures in the playoffs. And he's, even though he's got an MVP and he's got all these trophies and awards and all-star games, and all this, he is the, the big moments have eluded him Yeah, because he has fallen so short. 15 turnovers in a game, a NBA playoff record. Like, I mean, 0 for 27. Yeah. That 27 straight mystery. Like, yeah. The records he's associated with in the postseason are bad. The Spurs blowout was just atrocious. He wants to rectify that and save his legacy. And so you look at Joel Embiid. He was done with Ben Simmons. The Doc and the 76ers are done with Ben Simmons. He's out. And I think Harden is, is to the point of like accepting like he could be the number two to Joel Embiid because Joel is that dude now. Absolutely. Joel's team. It's not James Harden's team. It is Joel's team. But I think they get what they want here in that they get a primary creator, which Joel was having to do way too much of, which he's great. He's, he's I, I love him as an MVP. I, I, as much as everybody's joking, joking, I'm a Joel guy. I know it goes in, in the face of the numbers. But aesthetically, I just prefer Joel's game. I just yeah. I like him. Yeah. Yeah. But. No, go ahead. But uh, I, yeah, well, I mean, my my thing in particular is I think James Harden and Joel Embiid are a perfect match for each other. I think both of them are obviously hungry for the same thing. It's a difference when Harden was playing with the Nets. He was playing with two guys that had already won championships, and and although they only played what sixteen games together, I mean, they went thirteen and three in those sixteen games where they were all on the floor together. But they only played sixteen games together, so you have a Kyrie Irving who a championship ring might not necessarily be his number one priority right now. He wants to, you know, be a social justice warrior and you know, get into the vaccine vaccination stuff, which is all totally fair and game. I mean, we, you know, I cover a lot of social justice. I do a lot of work in that field. So I'm with it. Don't necessarily agree with everything Kyrie is doing, but I'm with it. I understand it. But I also understand just as an athlete, as a, as a competitor, what James Harden wants, he already has. What James Harden wants, 
Kevin Durant already has, which is why Kevin Durant has been able to be so patient throughout this entire ordeal that's been going on with the Nets organization, a lot of it obviously being centered around Kyrie. But I think for what James Harden wants and what Joel Embiid wants, and both of them knowing that that window is closing year by year because they're both getting older, they both dealt with, you know, a plethora of injuries, and it just is kind of how the course runs itself, to, uh, you know, five times undefeated. I think this Philly team, although the Nets got a lot of assets, this Philly team legitimized themselves as a real, true contender and it's no question about it because you know maybe Embiid had to carry too much of a load when you start to consider you know the competition he's gonna face in the postseason now he's got somebody who knows and understands how to carry that load but also has the same hunger as him which obviously Embiid and Ben Simmons did not have the same hunger nor the same mentality when they played together I feel like this is kind of a match made in heavy for, uh, heaven, excuse me, for Philly here. But obviously, time will only be able to dictate that for us. The big thing for me is Joel Embiid is seven foot tall, three hundred pounds, and he's having the season of his life. Yes, he's twenty eight years old, and how many more of these do you have? Not many, probably. <laughs> they did what they needed to do to give him a real shot, and that's that's all I've ever wanted for Portland. That's all I ever want for any team I ever cover. If there is a chance, like, and I'm not, not, I'm not talking, you know, Doctor Strange one in 13 million chance. This isn't the Avengers here. If there is a real chance of going out there and competing at the highest levels, then you do what you need to do to make it happen. And you live with the consequences. We saw Messiah Jury do it with Kawhi in Toronto. He knew he wasn't going to have him long, but he, but he shot for the stars. <laughs> Nobody's given that up. There isn't a single Never. fan that changes their mind. Listen, if they could be bad, they're not. They're good now. It was just so unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs> but if they if you told them that like, you're gonna be bad for five years, like you're gonna be bad, they take it. They take it. They take it in a heartbeat. No problem for that championship in exchange for that title. You you take it. You deal with it. What he said for twenty years, man. After what Giannis did, they they'll go freeze their butts off and be fine up there. They don't care. Hell, you can look at the Suns fans who have a real chance right now. Yeah. They got to the finals last year. They will tell you, listen, it was worth it. If they don't get back this year, like, it's going to suck. It's going to hurt. Don't get me wrong. But they had a real chance. They took it to game seven. And then that. I'm sorry, game six. Yeah. Before Giannis went nuts. Right, right. Went bonkers. Like, like in my eyes, became the best player in the world overnight. <laughs> I mean, obviously, he was already close to it for all that he'd accomplished prior to that. But that night, just, like, put him right over the hump. Who who do you think has been, like, the most underrated organization in regards to, you know, trades that were made that we might not necessarily talk about, especially after the explosion of a trade that happened between the Nets and the Sixers? But they – did well for themselves, and we're just not talking about it enough right now. I think the Spurs have kind of chose a direction to go very young, and I think that's because they were kind of just middling. Yeah. Um, The Pacers have reset what they're doing. Basically, the teams that have decided to either go one way or another, those are the the real moves that I like. The Kings, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, the Kings are the Kings. I don't know. It's – but – Maybe it's about the teams that didn't make trades, that didn't force things. The Dallas Mavericks, 
forced uh, to get, you know, Kristaps Porzingis off their books, which I knew they were trying to, but I didn't think there was any way out there they would take back Dav- uh, Davis Bertans' bad money from Washington. Um, but they're basically, what they're trying to do is clean their books up piece by piece. So what Joe Cronin did in, in the span of a week, the Mavericks are going to probably try to do this over the course of six months so that they can retool around Luka because he's still so young that they have the opportunity to do that again still. But they're trying to get out ahead of the curve so that uh, Billy Bean, Moneyball, basically I'm summarizing here. Yeah. Anytime you have to make a – anytime you say you have to make a move, you've already lost. Yeah, indeed. So there's the teams that are that are having to make moves, like the Kings had to make a move because they had a directive from their ownership to really chase that play-in spot, which – God bless them. I don't ever want to be a fan of an organization that does that, but okay, when you haven't been to the playoffs for 15 years, I get it. Um, but I don't ever want to be as if as an armchair GM, I don't I don't want to be forced into making a move because of all the other moves you failed to make or or the one that you made that you shouldn't have. And I think when you look at organizationally, that's the big thing I I, I take a look at uh, at trade deadlines and anytime big transactions happen. Absolutely. Well, one last question before I let you go back to uh, talking to agents and whoever else in the world out there <laughs> you've got to talk to <laughs> because yeah, I, I already know. I don't want to hold you for too long, but I'm glad you showed up. Um, this is a wake up and win podcast, man. Tell me something that you do. This is totally not basketball related. Well, it might be depending on what it is that you do um, after you know the full extent of this question here but what do you do when you wake up in the morning to set the tone for you to go out and win the day and i haven't won a lot of days i'll, I'll be honest i am i am what what's today's day today's the 10th right i am six days from a massive hip surgery okay and so i was it was up until a week ago i was going to have a full hip replacement and both my hips are cooked like i've got uh same thing bo jackson had avascular necrosis both yeah are dead and they just figured this out like a month and a half, six month and a half, two months ago. And they're like, no, man, your hips are like 80 years old. They got to go. And I was like, oh, that explains a lot. Right. Uh, so like they I haven't been able to do much. I haven't been able to like live my life. I've been in a ton of pain, all this stuff. So for me, it's what I hope to win the day with after the surgery. Got you. It was the audio interview, but anybody else, you can see it. There's a Peloton behind me. Right. Like, the thing that I'm most looking forward to is as much as I love this Peloton is not being reliant on this for exercise. Right. Right. Person has told me that he thinks he can give me back the ability to run. Yeah. That's big. The ability to play basketball. I haven't been able to play basketball in four years. So for me to be able to have that back, that's my motivation right now. Like right now, like I'm trying to clean my diet up. I'm eating right, eating clean, not eating out. You know, making sure I can, you know, get my stretches in, all the little things that I can do to try to like go out and win the day. But right now, like I have a singular focus outside of work's probably even falling to the side. And even my basketball coverage is falling, falling to the side as I get ready for the surgery. Cause that's mentally, I'm like, surgery's coming, surgery's coming. And I don't look at it like I'm I'm afraid or like I'm anticipating, like, give me this surgery, cut me open, get this thing fixed so I can get my life back. Yeah. Give me my quality of life back. And that's that's my that's how the you know the the win the day part of it kind of happens now. It's like, okay, it's coming, it's coming. That way, when I get into physical therapy, when I get into rehab, and got and you know we're six months from here in this summer, and all of a sudden I have my life back. 
That's my focus. That's my that's my mentality right now more than anything else. Because I, I I've worked in special operations in the military, man. Like I know what it takes to get motivated to go out to get things done. What it takes to be like physically fit, like to really be fit. All that stuff's up here. Right. I just haven't had the physical capacity to do it, and it has crushed my soul for years. Yeah. Now now they I have an opportunity to take that back. That's the thing that I'm looking forward to right now, man. Man, well, we're wishing you nothing but the absolute best uh, in your surgery. I'm glad to hear that, you know, mentally you seem like you're in the right space. You know, surgery can obviously be a scary thing, but you seem like you're ready to power through this, man. <laughs> you, you ready to power through and get back to it. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I'm, I'm thrilled. I'm, that, that's, that's my mindset right now. And then, like, once I get out of that, Keeping that going, right? Easy. Like I've, I've had so many surgeries before. It's easy to go, "Woe was me," and feel sorry for yourself, and why am I having to do this again? All that nonsense. And it's like, you know what? Suck it up. This part sucks, but you know what comes after that. That that's that's the thing is is knowing that the good stuff comes after you, and not before. You have to put the work in, and that's that's kind of where my mind's at. Absolutely, man. Well, appreciate you again for joining me on what obviously has been a busy day. I'm going to let you go back to getting even more busy. <laughs> but but thank you so much, man. Again, keep doing what you're doing with the Jack Ramsey's podcast. And don't be surprised if I call you back to talk some more on this podcast, man. Appreciate you for joining. Hey, really, anytime you call me, you got my number. Absolutely. On that note, we are going to leave y'all the only way that we know how, and that is to stay woke and go in. <laughs>